Uh, March 22nd is Buddy and Gay's last Sunday, and uh, we've known this for a little while, and so we've been working on it, still are working on it, and standing with me today are three of the ten board members that I've been working with during this season of transition. So just wanted to give you a brief report this morning about several things. The first one is, I want to say thank you to each of you who have been praying for this process, for the church, for the board, and for the candidate who's not yet named, and uh, how we're asking God to help us in this process. And if you haven't been praying, we want to ask you to start praying, because we're really relying on God to help us and for you to be people of prayer. I want to say thank you especially to the board members uh, for their amazing commitment to prayer themselves. As we've been gathering in our, well, almost weekly meetings from time to time, we have uh, spent time in every one of those meetings in prayer. And uh, while it doesn't happen this way every meeting, the last one was indicative of what generally happens. We spent more than the first 30 minutes just praying for you, for the needs of the church, for this transition, and for God's wisdom and discernment. So it's very, very important that we stay focused on prayer, and we're so grateful for that. We're also interested in getting the word to you about what's going on. You'll find in the bulletin today a little insert, which is a letter from the board members to you, and you'll need to take time to read through that, make sure you're caught up to speed with everything that's happening there. I just want to highlight two things from that. Number one, because we realize we don't have, you know, the permanent candidate in place for, you know, the day after Buddy and Gay's last Sunday, we, uh, we need a, some kind of interim plan in place. So we have asked uh, Reverend Jerome Hancock, Pastor Jerome Hancock, to come and help us. And there's a little bio information in that letter about him and his wife, Brenda. And uh, we believe you're going to love them, just like the board members already are grateful for their leadership and their investment. Uh, also, I want to just say that we are very, very blessed here at Salem Fields, and you know this already, with an amazing staff and leaders that have guided the church for all these years and that are standing in the gap during this time of transition. So I really want to ask you to help me say thanks to God for these incredible leaders. Would you help me applaud them for these staff members who are just doing a fantastic job during this season of transition? So really, I have two more things I want to mention. Number one, I want to tell you about something, and I want to ask for a favor. The first thing I want to tell you about is that tomorrow night at 6.30, for those of you who might be interested, we have uh, an informational meeting. Uh, very often, our meetings as a board are on Monday evenings, and at about 6.30, we're going to gather here and just be, be able to share in a little bit different setting a little bit more about the process, where we are in the process and to answer what questions you may have in the best ability we can. So we wanted you to know about that. There's more information about that in the letter. And then my favor that I want to ask of you, would you please keep praying? We really are counting on your prayers. We really need them. And we just believe that this is for the sake, not just of Salem Fields, but for the sake of Fredericksburg, you know? I mean, God raised this church up to make an impact on this city and places beyond. And so that's the kind of depth to which we're praying that God will give us his wisdom. And finally, let me say this. You're loved, and God is awesome. And uh, if you'd like to, we'll be out in the lobby after the service. Feel free to stop by and say hello. God bless you. Let's enjoy the rest of the service.
Star Moms. Good, I'm so glad that we've made it uh, prevalent out there to you. And thank you to everyone who has already done a care package. We wanna bring it to your attention and continue to bring it to your attention because this organization is so incredible. Jason's told us about it. He was one of those guys that was deployed. And like he said, and I have to learn my cues from him because he was there and I was not, but can't go to Walmart, can't go to 7-Eleven. And so when there are people stateside or from other places around the world that send those care packages, it means the world to them. And so for the men and women that are serving us, and I'm so grateful for them. Uh, there are a couple boxes out there that you can put the care packages in. There's some more information out there. And we would love for everybody here just to, to be part of that. We're going to take our tithes and offering in just a few moments at the next song. Probably most of you know this drill, and you could do this announcement yourself. But that doesn't diminish the impact and the power of what tithes and offering are all about. It really is about putting God first in your life, and then uh, you give that first 10%, and then everything beyond that is just a bonus for God, and he loves that, makes him smile. But I just want to say personally, learning to tithe, when Buddy and I first began to go to church, they just told us that's what it was, and then we discovered it for ourselves. And through all of these years, we have had every need met. We've had more than enough, I can tell you that. And uh, God has been so faithful to us. Now, we don't give so that we can get, what we, but we give because we love God and we want to show him that we put him first. And finances are usually the hardest place that we do. So our tithes are that, and they make ministry happen. They go around uh, the world. And uh, we're so thankful for everybody that's discovered that. If you're a guest with us today, don't worry about that. Just learn to know what tithe. Ask somebody who ties what it's all about, and you'll see a grin and a smile. And I'm so thankful at this stage of our life where we're getting ready to retire in terms of what we're doing now. We don't have a worry in the world because we know and we have practiced that God will take care of every need that we have. And so we've got that joy. Well, check in uh, to Facebook or any social media platform form that you have. This is just a way to tell your friends or to tell people out there, anybody out there that you connect with, that Salem Fields Community Church is a great place to be. And uh, for any empty chair that you see, our prayer is that those cheer chairs will fill up and you'll need more chairs and that this place is going to just uh, go like crazy. And part of the way that you can do that is through social media, Facebook. So check into to Salem Fields. Tell your friends, tell other people, this is a great place to be at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. There's also a connection card in your program, and uh, that's just a way for you to connect with us. It's a way for us to communicate with you. Just keep that information up to date. You can let us uh, know about prayer requests or anything else that is relevant that that little card can, can do for you. Also, if you're a first-time guest with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. And uh, we've got a little gift for you. As you go out the door, you'll see that banner there. There will probably be a really friendly person there. And we just want to say thank you that you were here today. Check us out again next week. You know, it takes a couple of times to really kind of get what the place is all about. But the most that we uh, hope that you experience here is the presence of God and the friendliness of people in a very safe place to be for you to grow spiritually. Also, guess what? Tax time. Isn't everybody excited? Is there anyone here that's already done your taxes? I'm going to boo you. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because I really admire you. <laughs> I, wish my, I wish ours were done. Every time it comes around March and I think, oh, man, we got to do our taxes again. But our giving statements are online. You can go there and print them out. Uh, if you've been tithing, uh, you can get that giving statement. Go online. Go on the app. Uh, if you really don't have a computer or you really need that printed out, I'm sure Howard at Salem Fields could do that for you. You could email him, him Howard at Salem Fields. That's it for me. Jody. take it away. All right. Well, as you know, our pastors are going to be heading out pretty soon, and we have something really special coming up next month, uh, March 22nd at 10.30 a.m. No other services that weekend, just that one service. We're going to have a celebration service with baptisms and baby dedications and communion, and we'll just have um, a time where we celebrate what has been happening here at Salem Fields over the past year, but not only that, over the past 25 years, because we're going to take time and celebrate uh, my mom and dad and just thank them for their 25 years of service here and for everything that they've done. And we want everybody here to be able to be a part of that. So I'm going to give you some more information about that as time comes up because I want you to be able to participate as, as you see fit. But invite your friends, tell people about it. Um, we're going to have a lot of fun that day. It's going to be lit, as um, the kids said about two years ago. So I'm just catching on with that. But um, we're going to have a lot of fun and we just want to make sure everyone knows about it. So tell people now, March 22nd at 10.30 a.m. That's the only service. And um, we're just going to go out and style for them and just celebrate everything. So if you want to be baptized, if you want to have your child dedicated, or if you have any questions, you can email info at salemfields.com, or you can stop by the information table out there and ask any questions that you have about that. Uh, the ushers are going to come in just a moment and take our tithes and offerings, and after the baskets pass, you can um, stand and join us. Praise the Father, 
Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe, and out of silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no Jesus, it's you, our living hope. And so, Father, thank you for everyone here today, for those online. God, may we lift you up. May we open our hearts to the word that you would have us to hear today, Father. We thank you for your presence that's so very real to us right now. And God, that's the only spirit, the only power that can change us from within, from inside out. And so, God, we thank you so much for the beautiful spirit here God, we thank you that we have the opportunity that we can come on a Sunday morning like this and lift up your name and worship and grow in you. So we give you all the glory for everything that happens, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. This is a song I wrote back in November when um, I lost my grandmother, so I wanted to share it with you guys, so I hope you enjoy it. It was dark, it was cold, there was no light around Everybody had searched, but no one had found The love that only you can provide We were scared, we were lost, we had no I call 
service. A whole lot better looking than Saturday night. <laughs> anyway, I was just sitting there thinking, man, as my granddaughter was singing, I am a blessed man. Man, I was just thinking, I was just things going through my head, I'm thinking about, you know, I, I have a, a wife that's loved me through whatever I put her through. She has stood by my side. She has been one of the only people that's ever believed in me. We've been able to serve 
co-lead this church together for 25 years. Greatest church in the world, in my opinion. You know, and I got a family, my daughter, who is steadfast, who has hung in there, has been through lots of stuff, but still loves Jesus. She's raised her family, her and Jason. Jason, I prayed for five years that God would send a godly man to marry my daughter, because it took a godly man to marry my daughter. <laughs> just like it took a godly woman to marry me. I'm just messing with Jody in some sense. But Jason is an awesome son-in-law. He's a great pastor. He has uh, just been a good provider, and their family loves Jesus. I mean, I'll tell you, the advantage of raising your children in the church and loving them, first of all, to love, love Jesus and be an example of Jesus in their life. And I've watched my grandchildren. i got three grandchildren that are just blessed me beyond what I had ever imagined. And all three of them love Jesus. All three of them are serving. And uh, it's just, uh, I'm just blessed. I'm blessed beyond uh, what I ever dreamed in my life. When I grew up in the little town of Kieseltown, I never thought that God would honor and bless my life the way he has. And I'm thankful. Okay, and that's just the first part of the message. <laughs> and that wasn't even planned. So thanks, thanks for allowing me to say that and have liberty enough to say that. There was an old man, he wasn't old, but there was a man named O'Hara. And O'Hara worked at a local brewery. I don't know exactly what his job was, but one day he lost his balance and he fell in a vat of, of uh, beer. And later that day, they, uh, they delivered the terrible news of his drowning to his wife. And she was crying and she said, I hope it was mercifully quick. And the foreman, he, you know, he shook his head and he was sad. And he says, I don't know if I can honestly tell you that, Miss O'Hara. She said, she said, because to tell you the truth, he climbed out of that vat twice to go to the bathroom. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I can tell whatever jokes I want now. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is my last message, so <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, I was trying to find one that went along with my sermon. And it's not about drinking beer, but anyway. It is my concluding message, uh, this series, Parting Words. And uh, it's my last message in this series and my last standalone message. Next week, Gabe will finish the series and then we're going to do a message or something together. We've not quite decided. And then Anthony, our children, our, children, our student pastor, uh, is going to bring the message the week before our last week. And we planned that because Anthony has been an integral part of our life. Uh, actually, uh, Christian and him were best friends. My grandson and my, uh, and my daughter and uh, Jason and, um, and Jody have taken great interest in him. And we've watched him grow up. We've watched him, uh, you know, get called to ministry and fulfill that call here at Salem Field. So what great honor it will be uh, to be here for his first uh, message at uh, Salem Fields and, uh, and the adult church. He speaks every week back there, but I'm excited. He seemed excited. But you know, there was, uh, and then the next week will be our final week. Some years ago, and we wanted to end our, week, our time here with a celebration service. Some of the greatest times that we've had as pastors of this church has been in our celebration services when we do baptisms, baby dedications, and we hear testimonies, and we do communion together, and that's kind of how we wanted to go out. We wanted that to be our last Sunday, and uh, then uh, the staff has added a uh, celebration to that for us, and, and uh, we're honored uh, to do that. But some years ago, there was a movie called, uh, and I'm going to tell you, this message is going to go just a little bit longer today, this whole kind of thing, okay? So, uh, 
the better y'all cooperate, the sooner we'll get out of here. <laughs> but anyway, there was a movie called The Sixth Sense. Anybody see it? All right, some of you have seen that and you lived through it. Uh, in that movie, a little boy appears to be suffering some, from some sort of mental disorder. And it turns out that his problems result, uh, resulted from the fact uh, that he sees ghosts. And uh, the problem with the ghost this little boy sees is the ghosts do not know they are ghosts. They don't know they're dead. And, and among the dead, uh, 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 the little boy encounters a child psychologist who attempts to help the little guy with his problems. But the psychologist also does not realize that he's dead. And the climatic moment of the movie comes when the little boy looks at the psychologist and says, I see dead people. Now, I, this whole message thing started a few weeks ago in January. I was in, uh, I was in, went down to Richmond to a church there in Richmond, Nazarene Church, and uh, good friends with the pastor for years, and he asked me to come down for the weekend and talk a little bit to his board about some things that maybe I've learned and some things that I'm learning and about the church and the future and all that. And, and I got there early, as I always try to do, to get my bearings a little bit. I've never been there. And, and as soon as I got in the door, it couldn't have been a minute, two policemen walked in. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, I'm speeding again. <laughs> and I just got a notice from my insurance company last night when I got home that they've put me on some kind of special insurance. I'm a, I'm a special guy. <laughs> and so I thought, I thought, well, oh my gosh, they got me. But anyway, they said to Rob, the, the pastor there, they said, Rob, or said, Pastor, we, uh, uh, can we see your security cameras? We need to check out something. And he said, well, the police have already been here. They've checked it out. They didn't see anything. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And so anyway, they leave and Rob, I said, Rob, what's going on? He said, well, buddy, you know what? He said, the most troubling thing happened. He said, they found a dead man uh, in our ditch out beside of our mailbox. And he had been there five days. And he said, I, he said I, and to top it all off, every day I went out to the mailbox and got the mail and there was a dead man laying in the ditch, dead. You see what, a right, dead man is dead. But <laughs> what he said, the thing is so troubling is every day I went out there to get the mail and I did not see him. And I thought about that and Anyway, the next morning I'm speaking to the congregation and we're there and, and Rob gets up to talk to his people and he says to them, he said, you know, folks, he said, I don't know if you've heard the news or not. He said, but I'm troubled. He said, you know, they found a, a dead man out in a ditch in front of our church by the mailbox. And he said, and, and the, you know, the, oh, you know, kind of a groan, a moan, kind of like shock way went through the congregation. And he said, you know, the troubling thing is I didn't see him. And none, and none of you, you know, that came to the church, none of us saw this dead man that's been laying in the ditch for five days. They said it's five days because he worked at McDonald's and he'd walk by the church every day. And on 360, it's kind of a busy highway there. And as he was walking home, they think somebody hit him and knocked him in the ditch and he laid there and died and he was there five days. You know, and as I begin to think about that and begin to think, you know what, I'm going to talk about that one of these days uh, in a message, uh, you know, and I was, I was standing there and seeing how shocked they were and how tragic that is that there was a dead man in the ditch in front of the church. You know what the thought that came to me is that, you know what, I see dead people every day. I see dead people every day and many times I don't even realize it. You see dead people every day and you don't even realize it. I see dead people. 
I look around and I see people hopeless. I see people helpless. I see people lost in their sin and, and they have no way out on their own. And they just think this is life. You know, I see dead people living downtown. When I go downtown, again, I go down sometimes, and I go down, and, you know, it's kind of a nice, peaceful place. You know that. And, and, and I, I, see, uh, dead, I see dead people uh, kind of living on our sidewalks. And then I drive out on my way home, and, and there's dead people living in million-dollar homes in that same street. You know, there, there are dead people working at McDonald's. I go there every morning to get coffee nearly every morning and, you know, try to build a relationship with them and I just see them and look in their eyes and they're dead people. And then there are dead people working in government buildings in our nation's capital and in our state capital. There are dead people living in our community and there are dead people living next door to us. There are dead people shopping at Walmart and there are dead people shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue. Matter of fact, there are dead people all around us. There may even be a dead person sitting close to you today. And they say, what do you mean? Well, that morning, even that morning as I thought, I thought what brought all this in my head and my mind. I mean, I didn't even mean for this to be my parting sermon, you know, my parting words. I thought, you know, if I could say my parting words to you today is, you know, there are lost people everywhere. Let's, let's continue to reach lost people. Let's keep focused. Let's keep our hearts focused on lost people. But this message just wouldn't go away. And, 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 and in that message or in that morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 came to my mind. And that's kind of our uh, text for today where the Bible says, As for you, for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, Paul's saying that every one of us has been, every one of us was dead or either we were dead or are dead in our transgressions and sins. I'm not talking about funeral home dead. But I'm talking about spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. One is final and the other is preventable. Do you know what dead people look like? Here's a picture. That's dead. They're dead. That's funeral home dead. That's final. What I'm talking about is preventable. I mean spiritually dead people. You know what spiritually dead people look like? Spiritual dead people are beautiful. Spiritual dead people are ugly, <laughs> like me. You know, uh, some, some are tall, some are short. Some are fat, some are skinny. Some are white-skinned, some are dark-skinned. Some are gay, some are straight. Some are here legal, some are here illegal. Some speak English, others don't. Some are Republican, some are Democrat. Some are Redskin fans, and others are dead. <laughs> anyway, I got to get it in as long as I can. <laughs> but you know what? Dead people have one thing in common they're dead in their sins. They're dead in their sins. But before we get all puffed up, we too have been dead in our sins. You see, the Bible says, for we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, and then I began to think about Jesus. And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus saw dead people 
In the Bible, when he said, uh, when he said, when the Bible said he, when he saw the crowds, meaning Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw spiritually dead people, he saw through their deadness. He saw through to see how to see them differently than maybe you and I see dead people, spiritually dead people. So what I did is I took that Matthew chapter 36 and I went on my gateway Bible and I put that scripture in and then I looked at every translation of how every, every translator translated that word in the, in, that scripture in the English language and, and, and how Jesus saw these dead people. What he saw was people who were distressed, dispirited, bewildered, dejected, troubled, cast away, worried, helpless, downcast, harassed, hurting, discouraged, weary, worn out, confused, aimless, abandoned, walking around everywhere, weak, tossed aside, deeply distraught, discontent, cannot help themselves, travailed. Sound like anybody you know? I've experienced every one of those. You see, the compassion of Jesus Christ, though, was not shown how we show it. You see, the compassion of Jesus Christ was, show, was not shown with just uh, feeling bad for them or having pity on them or just empty words. Jesus took action. And the action that Jesus uh, took cost him something. Ultimately, it cost him his life to care for the needs of the ones whom he had compassion which includes us. In other words, he didn't just feel bad for dead people, spiritually dead people. He did something about their condition. There are many examples throughout the New Testament of the actions that Jesus took uh, to show compassion. But one particular parable stuck out in my mind, and it's uh, the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. And in that parable, most of you know, there, there was a dude that was robbed and beat up and left in the ditch to die, and the religious people came by, and they walked by, and a Samaritan came by. And the Bible says that this, that but a, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, now he didn't just take pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pull, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. Then the Bible says the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Which of these, the Bible says, do you think uh, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Now, in the final analysis... The Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of how Jesus showed compassion to a spiritually dead person. Now, you know, you can take this as what, for what it's worth, but I believe that the church, we are faced with two very vital issues in the days ahead when it comes to reaching people. And those two issues to me, I think, is a problem that we as church leaders have got to somehow come to grips with and come to terms with. Number one is, there are people out there that are spiritually dead and don't even know it. You know, I grew up in a time where you just knew. You know, I knew. I didn't go to church, but I knew. I knew what that was all about. 
I grew up in, I knew the song Jesus Loved Me. I, I didn't go to church, but I went to Bible school. And I realized as a teenager, I was spiritually dead. But today, people don't even realize they're spiritually dead. And that's an issue for the church. The second issue, I think, for the church is that people, uh, have be, people are comfortable and successful being spiritually dead. They're comfortable. I mean, they've got a good life. I mean, things are going good. they got a good job. Their kids are going to school. got kids in college. they got money in the bank. Things are good. Everything's good in their life. they got a good, happy marriage. Things are going well for them. And so they become spiritually comfortable in their success. And they see no need to get up and hassle themselves or going to church and doing all that. And I think it's an issue that we have to deal with in the church. People are that way in our culture. So in culture today, in, our, in, in that situation today, in our culture today, how do we reach that? How do we reach people that don't even know they're spiritually dead and are comfortable and successful being spiritually dead? I think it's in the way we show compassion. I think it's in the way we show compassion. That, that, that as we show compassion as believers in Christ, they too will maybe become, understand that they are spiritually dead and, 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 and maybe they'll become a little more uncomfortable in that condition of being spiritually dead. I've listed a few ways that I think that maybe in today's culture that we can show compassion to people that maybe will change their hearts and minds and draw them toward Christ. The first one that I found, that I thought about, was be, by being a friend, by being a friend. You know, the Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of sinners. Someone said friends walk in when everyone else walks out. You know, a friend is, is one who sees someone in the ditch emotionally and, and doesn't just pass by on the other side. A friend is someone who, uh, who sees someone in the ditch emotionally and, and doesn't just send a text or, or an email saying, I'm praying for you. But, but like the good Samaritan, we stop and we take time to bandage their emotional wounds or, or we invest our time and, and resources in them. And then we come back and we check to see how they're doing and find out if they need anything else. Can you imagine? Here comes the Samaritan. He, he sees the dude over in the ditch. He's all beat up and he's bleeding. And he gets to the next town. And he stops and he sends a text. Hey, man, I hope you stop bleeding. I mean, I, I hope that you're doing well. I'll be praying for you. No, a friend will stop, and he will lend a hand. He will lend a shoulder, and he will bandage up his wounds. And I think as people in our community, you know, I think if we could imagine what a difference a friendship like that would make in the lives of those who are spiritually dead. But we got to be friends with them first. You see, Gay in her message last week talked about the importance of a loving relationship with God, with a loving relationship with, our, with ourselves, and, and, and a relationship uh, with others. And I believe today, and Gay and I have talked this to death, I, I believe today that the way that we're going to impact and show compassion to people in our community that are spiritually dead and don't know it and are comfortable in that deadness is to build relationships with them. 
You see, I think that building relationships is the most important thing that we can do today in our culture for those who are spiritually dead. I, I've watched Gay. She developed a friendship with a lady on a plane coming back from London, and, and the lady and all of our indications is, is that maybe she don't know God. And I've, I've watched Gay. Uh, who, this, this lady is the complete opposite of Gay. The only thing they have in common is they like to talk. And I watched Gay just love this girl. And I watched her just spend time with her. And, and this girl called her up just this week and said, hey, you want to go to Williamsburg to a TED Talk? Because she just, she just can't imagine life without Gay doing a TED Talk. And, and so I went along as a driver. And I, uh, I just wanted to get out of town. I love to go to Old Town Williamsburg and walk that walk. You know the walk from the candy store? <laughs> I like that walk. And so I went along. And on the way back, they got to talk to her about God. You know, it's in relationship. It's in relationship. And it's in being a friend. And we need to think that about that. And, and, and you see, G Jesus was a deeply relational person. And it seems like he liked, uh, he had relationships with people outside the church more than he hung around with people inside the church. You see, folks, you can't be a friend, and we can't connect with our people in our world if we don't know if we don't know them. And the only way we can know them, uh, the only way we can do that is get to know someone. The only way we can get to know someone is to be friends with them. You know, you, we have a lot of acquaintances in our life, but I'm talking about friends. And the only way you get to really know someone is be a friend of that person. But many of us as Christians. We say we want to connect with the spiritually dead, but many of us don't even have a relationship outside of our little huddle that we have. Oh, we work with them, and we go to school with them, and we shop with them, and we commute with them, but we are not friends with them. You know, if you say, well, buddy, I don't think that's true, well, then just go out to the lobby before church. Go out to the lobby before church, or go look at our small groups, get in every, go, go, go look from the outside in to our small group and count how many spiritually dead people are in our huddles. Because we huddle with people we got something in common with. And I look at some of those huddles and we can't break in them ourselves because we got our little huddles. And our small groups, they're us. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, unless we allow them in our life, we will never be able to connect with them and connect them with the one who we serve. Take time to show compassion. Now we're going to do something. We're going to practice. Oh, goodness sakes, the time is getting away. It always does when I'm in a hurry. Uh, I want you right now to get up, and I want you to go introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. Somebody you don't know, Lexi. Okay, okay, okay. Good job. I was, I was not being honest about y'all being the best looking group. 
But I am being honest, y'all are the most talkative group. <laughs> You've done that better than any other group. So see, but it was a little awkward. And we have a lot in common. So I know how awkward it is for us to build relationships and be friends with people that we don't know that are spiritually dead. And that's why I wanted you to practice. So, okay, the next one, we can show compassion by not being judgmental. You know, boy, got quiet. <laughs> Jesus never started a conversation with a spiritually dead person by judging them. The only people Jesus started a conversation by judging was the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But he did challenge people that were spiritually dead to go and sin no more. But he didn't, he didn't say, oh, you're a, you're a sinner. What you're doing is wrong. The Bible speaks against that. You shouldn't be doing that. No, he he was in relationship. You see, church people, me, I'm a church person. When I say church people, I'm one, can be the most judgmental people in our culture. We, we can be, the, and that may be one of the reasons that spiritually dead people don't want to be friends with us. Maybe that's why they're not in our huddles. You see, we, we need to remember, spiritually dead people, they are not saved yet. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the Bible. They don't know what a relationship with Jesus Christ is like. They don't know that their lifestyle, many times that their lifestyle is against what God talks about or what the Bible teaches. They don't know that. You know, we expect people's lifestyle to be in line with us. And how will they know if we're not friends with them and tell them? But we judge them. You see, that's why their lifestyle choices are different than ours. Behaving and living like a believer is not a precondition for being saved. You see, God takes us just like we are. You see, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ saves us, not what we have done wrong or how we're living or, or what we've not done for God. We are not called to judge people. We're called to love people. We are not called to judge people. We're called to love people. I've felt the pain of judgmentalism in the church, and I'm sure you have. And it's painful. It's painful. You see, the way I'm overcoming being judgmental is I think back. See, I've got a good memory about the Low down center aisle was. I, you know, there's, you know, I had a guy tell me the other day, he was here and we were talking. He said, buddy, the reason I love talking to you because I can talk to you about things I've done you've already done. <laughs> I thought, yeah, and I'm one of your pastors. <laughs> I'm not proud of that at all. Believe me, I'm not proud of that. But what I'm saying to you is, you know, I just remember. I remember how lost I was before somebody befriended me and told me about a life in Christ. So, let's stop judging. Let's stop judging. Let's stop our, that's terrible. Next, we can show compassion by being open to questions and to ask questions. You know, I found that we're not very good at allowing people to ask questions or have doubts. 
when it comes to faith. I know believers today that will not express their doubts that they have in the Christian faith because they don't want to be judged because they have doubts about their Christian faith. Let me tell you something. I've been a believer since 1980, and there are still mornings I wake up and I say, God, do you even care what I'm going through? God, are you even aware I'm on the planet of the earth, that I, won't, that I'm, that I exist? God, do you really answer prayer? We all have doubts. But the first thing we like to do is talk people out of their doubts. I may just be me, I don't know. Because it makes us uncomfortable. We need to give people room to ask questions without shutting them down with our should and our should not. Spiritual stuff. And I think when we allow them to ask questions without judgment on their question, we're showing them compassion. You guys all right? Okay, just all. I don't, want to, I don't want to lose you until about 12.35. <laughs> I think another reason spiritually dead people don't hang out with us is because there's no room for questions or doubt in our relationships with people outside the Christian faith. Allow people to ask questions about faith. I don't, you know, uh, ask them to ask questions about the Bible or anything else in life without judging their questions. Without judging their questions. Of whether they're right or wrong, whether God loves them or whether God allows that or doesn't allow, whatever. You see, I believe, I believe I've learned this. When we embrace the questions of spiritually dead people, it's like giving them a big old hug. It's like giving them a hug. When we allow them to ask questions without judging their questions. It's like somebody just hugged them. It's like we accept them and we love them. Also, ask questions. Ask questions. Like, do you ever wonder what, do you ever wonder if there's more to life than this? You know, you got this person that just seems to have it all together, and maybe just having a conversation with them at lunch or somewhere, and you, you just say to that friend, you say, do, do you ever wonder if there's more to life than this? I wonder that sometimes, you know, you could say, I wonder this sometimes. Do you ever wonder that? Or, or do you ever think about God? Do you, you know, you could say, do you ever think about God? That's not a threatening question. Or, or, or do you feel like something's missing in your life? You know, you, you know, you got, you know, it seems like everything's good in your life. You know, it, do you ever feel like there's something missing? I know that I did. You know, you can say that person. I know that I did. That's true. I knew, I know there was a time in my life when I knew there was something missing. And they, they might say, yeah, man, there is something missing. And, and I can say to that person, you know what I found that to be? In my life, I lived this whole t time of my life trying to fill my life with all this stuff with sin and all this other junk in my life. And I always came up feeling empty. But you know, the moment that I discovered that I can be in relationship with Jesus Christ, I no longer felt empty. And they just might go, my goodness, I never thought about that. Ask questions. You could ask, would you ever have, consider having a relationship with Jesus? So, what I want you to do, I want you to ask somebody a question right now. Don't have to be spiritual, any question. What kind of car you drive? You know, just ask somebody a question. Come on, let's go. Sooner you ask, sooner we leave. I'm pretty comfortable up here. <laughs>
Okay. The, que it's, the questions are only going to get harder. This is my last message. I don't care what you think. I do, really. All right, the next one. You, could, you can show compassion by being honest and authentic. You can show compassion by being honest and authentic, especially about our struggles. Now, I believe honest and authentic, genuinely compassionate people will always be more effective in sharing Jesus than trying to convince someone about Jesus. Did I need to say that again? I believe that honest and authentic, genuinely compassionate people will always be more effective in sharing Jesus uh, with compassion than those who are trying to change him with words. Think about Jesus. He shocked the Bible scholars with his genuine, honest, and authentic, God-focused and driven compassion. You see, spiritually dead people get suspicious when Christians come across like we have it all together. And we do sometimes, don't we? We act like we got it all together. How many of you say, I got it all together? Let's be honest. <laughs> well, Jesus is not here today. I'll be darned. <laughs> then let me ask you a question. Why do we act like we do? Why do we put on that big fake smile, walk around, somebody says, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. What do you start with? Oh, I don't start with anything, man. I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus. He takes care of everything, He does eventually. But Christians are the biggest liars ever walked. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, great. I don't know. Maybe that's why we got to do. Maybe that's why we have to. That's why we have to be. Maybe being compassionate. I'm not doubting you. Maybe being compassionate will make they. Maybe they will see that we want to know. That's a good, good thought. Didn't mean to shut you down there right away. I didn't want you to preach. I'm preaching. I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> Come on. Come on up here. <laughs> I'm, messing. I'm messing with you, Gigi. Uh, anyway, thanks for messing me up. <laughs> Here's what I believe about honesty and authentic and genuineness. It draws people to you. It draws people to you. And I believe it draws people to God. You know, Gay and I made it a point. At our very first board meeting, before they even hired us, we were totally honest that our life was a mess, wrecked. I mean, we were going through the biggest struggle of our life. And they were foolish enough to hire us anyway. And we decided that that we were just going to be honest. We made it a point over the 25 years just to be honest. And you all know we have been. I mean, we've talked to you about the struggles we've had in our marriage. I mean, we've had struggles. We've been married 25 years and we've worked together. And we've had our struggles in marriage. And we've shared those struggles with you. And we've taken divorce off the table. I mean, that, we made that decision years ago. And I've had people, we've had people come to us and saying, you know what? It, We've been inspired by the fact that you guys talk about your struggles and that you've decided you're going to stay together anyway, and we have taken divorce off the table, and we have been in extreme pain. 
But we've made a commitment to take it off the table. And we've been judged because we've done that and because our marriage has not been this perfect Christian marriage. We love each other to death. But boy, we can hurt each other, can't we? Gay said last week, an authentic and honest church is what God called us to create at Salem Fields and our prayer is that this place will always be that kind of place where we're real about life. I, I believe the mark of an honest and authentic Christian is that they are honest about the areas of their life they struggle with. I also believe there's a strange attraction when you're authentic and honest. Now, if you believe that, tell your neighbor something you struggle with. Getting a little harder, isn't it? Just look, tell your neighbor something you struggle with. Tell your husband. Good lands. He already knows anyway. He just don't tell you. <laughs> I'm just having you practice a little bit. That's all this is, is practice. If you can't be honest with a Christian friend and a person you go to church with, how will you ever be honest with the person who's spiritually dead? Now let me ask you another question. How many of you have stayed around Salem Fields Community Church because this is an authentic and real place that you can hear the truth? How many of you stayed because of that? Most of you. And I'm telling you there is an attraction to honesty and authenticity and being genuine and real and talking about your struggles. And if you want to draw dead people to you, start talking to them about the struggles that you have. And they'll be drawn to you. They'll be drawn to you. Next, I'm going fast. You can show compassion by living a godly life. You can show compassion by living a godly life, yep. You see, the greatest evidence that God is real is by the way we live, not how we talk. Not our spiritual language. But how we live. You see, rather than trying to talk people into believing, try living people into believing. Put that on Twitter or something, okay? And then put hashtag Buddy Marston. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, that's a great thought. I mean, we try to talk people into believing. Try living people into believing. They look at your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not depend on others. You see, people believe it when they see it, not when they are told. You see, when they see what a godly life looks like overhearing about how godly we are. You see, when people see compassion in action, they will see what a godly life really looks like. And I think a godly life is an attractive life. And eventually, we'll be, they will be drawn to Jesus as we pray for our friends. One of the most powerful ways we can show compassion is by praying. By praying for those who, may, who we make friends with. Praying for them by name. Never forget the power of prayer. Prayer is the key to reaching people. And if I could say anything that I think we need to do better around here, and it's probably my fault that that doesn't happen more, is corporate prayer. We don't gather enough to pray together. 25 years ago, I started a prayer meeting over in the little building over where, uh, where uh, not Life Point, uh, Grace Church is at. 
And every Friday morning, 6 o'clock, we'd meet and we'd pray. We've done that for 25 years. And three people show up. We've got to do better than that. I even quit advertising because I thought, well, you know, I, I remember Pastor Ray was our prayer pastor, and he'd ask and ask and ask and ask. And I think if we want to reach this community and we want to make an impact with this church and we want it to be the church that God wants us to be, we've got to pray more together. We've got to pray more together. If you want to pray with us, come Saturday morning, Friday morning for 7 o'clock. I haven't been there in the last couple of weeks because I said, forget it. But only prayer and Jesus can effectively raise the spiritually dead from the grave of unbelief and complacency. Only prayer and Jesus can effectively raise the spiritually dead from the grave of unbelief and complacency. Let me tell you what, prayer is powerful. We moved into our neighborhood 25 years ago, didn't know anybody. I think when we moved in, my neighbors, I told you a story, my neighbor I think was a little mad at us. I don't know why I thought, well, he thought, must have found out I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he probably didn't want no pastor moving in beside of him. But I found out later, and I'll tell you what, right now, Steve is one of my best friends. And, I mean, I just love the guy. I was gone for a few days, and he, was, he didn't know I was gone, and he texted me and said, buddy, where you at? I haven't seen you around, you But let me tell you about the story about Steve and Peggy and their children. When we moved there 25 years ago, and we were just young, dumb pastors over at Salem Fields, we said to people, let's take, we gave everybody a candle. We said, put this candle in your window every Friday night and pray for your neighbors. So every Wednesday night, we put that candle in our windows. You know, we prayed for Steve and Peggy, and we prayed for our neighbors all around us. Some of them, we didn't even know their names yet. And we prayed. Fast forward to Friday. Gay's having a conversation with Steve out in the front yard, and, and they got to talking about their children, and they have two daughters, and, and Steve said to Gay in the conversation somehow there, he said, you know, I, I can't believe, we can't believe how our daughters turned out. We were just this kind of person. We didn't, you know, we didn't make above C, and now we got daughters, and we got one in med school at VCU. We got one at, uh, at UVA, and they're just doing well. One of them goes to Life Point, you know, and has, you know, they're, they're good Catholic people. I'm not being critical of them. I'm just saying the power of prayer. I can remember walking from a Christmas party with Kelly, the daughter, and said, buddy, we, I'm going to Light Point, and I love it. I got to tell you about knock me over. It about knocked me over. What a great walk home. And Gay said, well, Steve, did you know that 25 years ago, Buddy and I and Jody put a candle in the window, and every Wednesday night we prayed for you and your family. You know, Steve said, thank you. Thank you. The power of prayer. Never underestimate it. You got a friend that don't know Jesus? You can show compassion by praying for them by name. By praying for them by name. I'll almost finish with this scripture. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Paul wrote, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In what you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved.
Folks, you and I were dead. There's no stronger term that Paul could have used than that we were dead. We weren't almost dead or seriously ill or on life support and intensive care. We were dead. Destined for hell. But because of God's grace, because of God's grace, we don't deserve his love, but he gave it to us anyway. Because of his grace, <laughs> we are now alive in Christ. Free to live. Free to live. Grace given, grace extended to our world. So my parting words would be this. Always, always remember there are people that are spiritually dead all around us who need Jesus and show them a little compassion who might just reach our world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your good spirit that's here this morning, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for the incredible worship we've had today. Lord, I thank you that you showed up. Bless those that are here and those that are online today. And I would just, as we close in prayer, this may be my final challenge of salvation at Salem Fields. But if you're here and you've never received the good grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ in your life and in your heart, and maybe you're here today and you're one of those that are spiritually dead, and maybe you're saying in your heart today, I want to be alive in Jesus. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that I just know that God loves me and that I am no longer dead to him, but I'm alive in him. If that's you today, would you just pray this prayer with me? You don't have to pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart, but pray it sincerely. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, will you forgive me? And then you just pray, Jesus, I invite you into my heart today to be my savior. It's not the prayer that saves you, it's Jesus and his blood, shed blood on the cross that we're forgiven and saved. Now will you say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed and no one looking around, and you just want to confirm and that you confirm that you prayed that prayer and you want to, you want to uh, make a, a testimony of that and you just want to say, yes, I believe that, I prayed that, and here's my confirmation of that. With no one looking around but Gay and I, would you just slip up your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. Anybody like that today? Yes. Let's see your hands. Yes. Anybody else? I'm sorry. Just slip your hand up and right back down. Yes. Yes. God bless you. God bless you. The thing is, it doesn't matter if I see your hands. God knows your heart and your sincerity. And I would just pray that God's spirit would touch your spirit. And you would know that you know that you are a child of the most high God. And that he loves you and that he's forgiven you. And you're no longer dead in your sins. But you're alive in Jesus. Now if you prayed that prayer, when you leave there's a table out there that says, Accepted Jesus. Would you just stop there? It's really important 
that we help you with that to understand what God has done for you. And there'll be a pastor there and they'll love on you and talk to you. It won't take you but a minute. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace that has been given. And Lord, I pray that we'll extend grace to those who are living in our world spiritually dead. Help us to show compassion, Lord, and be the people of God that doesn't judge people, but loves people. God, thank you today that you love us so much. We pray for those in our community and around the world that don't know Jesus. Help us to show the compassion of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Can we all stand and worship together? Na, 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 na.